Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about neck lumps. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash necklumps or in the ear, nose and throat section of the Zero to Finals surgery book. So let's get straight into it. Neck lumps are a relatively common presentation, particularly in primary care and exams. Being able to identify and manage the different causes is helpful. Let's start with some basic anatomy. There are three areas when describing the location of a neck lump, and these are the anterior triangle, the posterior triangle, and the midline, which is vertically along the centre of the neck. The two triangles are on either side of the sternocleidomastoid muscle. The borders of the anterior triangle are the mandible or the jawbone which forms the superior border at the top, the midline of the neck vertically down the centre of the neck which forms the medial border and the sternocleidomastoid muscle which forms the lateral border. The borders of the posterior triangle of the neck are the clavicle or the collarbone which forms the inferior border at the bottom the trapezius muscle which forms the posterior border and the sternocleidomastoid muscle which forms the lateral border. Let's talk about the differential diagnosis of a neck lump. In adults, the differential diagnosis is a normal structure, for example a bony prominence, a skin abscess, lymphadenopathy which is enlarged lymph nodes, a tumour, for example, squamous cell carcinoma or a sarcoma, lipoma, which is a fatty lump, a goiter, which is a swollen thyroid gland, thyroid nodules, a salivary gland stone or a salivary gland infection, a carotid body tumour, a hematoma, which is a collection of blood which can occur after trauma to the neck, thyroglossal cysts, and branchial cysts. And we'll talk in more detail about some of these later on. Neck lumps in young children may also be caused by cystic hygromas, dermoid cysts, hemangiomas, and venous malformations. A Tom tip for you, it's not uncommon for patients to present worried about a normal bony prominence in the neck. Common areas of concern are the hyoid bone, mastoid process behind the ear and the transverse processes of C1 which is the first cervical vertebra. Let's talk about the history. The purpose of taking a history is to gain general information about the symptoms for example when the lump first appeared and how quickly it's been growing. The features that suggest or exclude a particular diagnosis for example night sweats might indicate lymphoma risk factors for that condition, for example the family history, age of the patient and smoking status, and general fitness for further investigations and treatment, for example comorbidities that might make investigations more difficult, or medications such as anticoagulants which might make surgery or biopsies more difficult with an increased risk of bleeding. Next let's talk about the examination. When you're examining a neck lump, the things to establish are the location of the neck lump, for example, is it in the anterior triangle, the posterior triangle, or the midline, the size of the lump, 
the shape, for example, if it's oval, round or irregular in shape, the consistency, is it hard, soft or rubbery, is it mobile, meaning it's easy to move around, or is it tethered to the skin or the underlying tissues? Are there any skin changes, for example, erythema or redness, tethering of the skin where the skin is pulled in by the lump, or ulceration of the skin? Is there warmth, which might suggest infection? Is there tenderness, which often suggests infection? Is the lump pulsatile, for example, with a carotid body tumour? Does the lump move with swallowing, which can happen with thyroid lumps, or does it move when sticking their tongue out, for example, a thyroglossal cyst? And does it transilluminate with light, which can happen with a cystic hygroma, which is usually in young children? A general examination, looking more generally at the patient, can be used to look for signs of the underlying cause of the neck lump, such as looking for ear, nose and throat infections, which can cause reactive lymph nodes, where the lymph nodes swell up in response to the infections, weight loss, which might indicate malignancy or hyperthyroidism, skin pallor and bruising, which might suggest leukaemia, Vocal chest findings when listening to the chest and examining the chest, which might suggest lung cancer. Finger clubbing, which may again suggest lung cancer. And hepatosplenomegaly, with an enlarged liver and spleen, which may suggest leukemia. Let's talk about the neck lump red flag referral criteria. The NICE guidelines on suspected cancer, updated in January 2021, suggest a two-week wait referral for an unexplained neck lump in someone aged 45 or above, or a persistent unexplained neck lump at any age. They recommend considering an urgent ultrasound scan in patients with a neck lump that is growing in size. This should be within two weeks in patients 25 and older, and within 48 hours in patients under 25. They require a two-week wait referral if the ultrasound is suggestive of a soft tissue sarcoma. A tom tip for you, when a patient presents to primary care or to their GP with symptoms and signs that are suspicious of cancer, they require either a urgent direct access investigation or a two-week wait referral. The NICE guidelines on suspected cancer recognition and referral set out their recommendations by either the site or the symptom which makes it really easy to look up the referral criteria. There is also a section for non-specific symptoms such as unexplained weight loss, appetite loss and deep vein thrombosis. If you're ever in doubt, it's worth looking up the latest guidelines and discussing with seniors to make sure you don't miss an opportunity to refer onwards for suspected cancer. Next, let's talk about the investigations. Blood tests may be helpful depending on the suspected cause of the neck lump. Not everyone with a neck lump will require blood tests. The choice of test will depend on the suspected cause. For example, a full blood count and a blood film can be used to look for leukemia or infection. A HIV test can be used where HIV is suspected. A monospot test or EBV antibodies can be used to look for infectious mononucleosis. Thyroid function tests can be used to investigate a goiter or thyroid nodules. 
Anti-nuclear antibodies can be used for suspected systemic lupus erythematosus. And lactate dehydrogenase, or LDH, is a very non-specific tumour marker that can be used to look for Hodgkin's lymphoma. Imaging may involve an ultrasound scan, which is often the first-line investigation for neck lumps, a CT or MRI scan, or a nuclear medicine scan, for example, looking for toxic thyroid nodules or PET scans for metastatic cancer. Biopsies may be required to gain a tissue sample to look at the histology in order to establish the exact cause. And this may be with fine needle aspiration cytology, where cells are aspirated from the lump using a needle, a core biopsy, which involves taking a sample of the tissue with a thicker needle, an incision biopsy, which involves cutting out a tissue sample with a scalpel, or complete removal of the lump, where the entire lump is removed and examined. Next, let's talk about some specific causes. Firstly, starting with lymphadenopathy. Lymphadenopathy refers to enlarged or abnormal lymph nodes. There's a long list of causes of enlarged lymph nodes, which can be generally grouped into reactive lymph nodes, infected lymph nodes, inflammatory conditions and malignancy. Reactive lymph nodes are swollen lymph nodes which may be caused by viral upper respiratory tract infections, dental infections or tonsillitis. Infected lymph nodes may involve an infection with tuberculosis, HIV or infectious mononucleosis. Inflammatory conditions that can cause lymphadenopathy include systemic lupus erythematosus or sarcoidosis. And malignant causes of lymphadenopathy include lymphoma, leukemia or metastases. The lymph nodes in the neck that are most concerning for malignancy when they're enlarged are the supraclavicular nodes, the ones above the clavicles. They may be caused by malignancy in the chest or the abdomen and if you come across them they require further investigation. Features that suggest malignancy or cancer are unexplained lymph nodes, for example not associated with an infection, persistently enlarged nodes, particularly over 3 cm in diameter, abnormally shaped nodes, and normally lymph nodes are an oval shape where the length is more than double the width, nodes that are hard or rubbery in consistency, non-tender enlarged nodes, nodes that are tethered or fixed to the skin or the underlying tissues, and where there are other associated symptoms such as night sweats, weight loss, persistent fatigue or fevers. Next let's talk about infectious mononucleosis. Infectious mononucleosis is a cause of lymphadenopathy. It's caused by infection with the Epstein-Barr virus or EBV and it most often affects teenagers and young adults. EBV, or the Epstein-Barr virus, is found in the saliva of infected individuals and may be spread by kissing, sharing cups, toothbrushes or other equipment that transmits saliva. Infectious mononucleosis presents with fever, sore throat, fatigue and lymphadenopathy. 
A key presenting feature that's worth remembering for your exams is that it can present with an intensely itchy macular papular rash in response to amoxicillin or cephalosporins. So if you come across a teenager who has a sore throat, is prescribed amoxicillin and then develops an intensely itchy rash, the diagnosis may be infectious mononucleosis. The first line investigation is the monospot test. It's also possible to test for specific antibodies to the Epstein-Barr virus and IgM is used to test for acute infection and IgG is used to test for immunity. Management is supportive. Patients should avoid alcohol due to the risk of liver impairment and contact sports due to the risk of splenic rupture. Next let's talk about lymphoma. Lymphomas are a group of cancers that affect the lymphocytes inside the lymphatic system. These cancerous cells proliferate within the lymph nodes and cause the lymph nodes to become abnormally large, referred to as lymphadenopathy. There are two categories of lymphoma, Hodgkin's lymphoma and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Hodgkin's lymphoma is a specific disease and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma encompasses all the other lymphomas. Hodgkin's lymphoma is the most likely specific type of lymphoma to appear in your exams. Overall, one in five lymphomas are Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's caused by a proliferation of lymphocytes. In terms of which ages get Hodgkin's lymphoma, there is a bimodal age distribution with peaks around age 20 and 75 years. Lymphadenopathy is the key presenting symptom of lymphoma. There might be a single lymph node that is enlarged or there might be multiple nodes and these may be found in the neck, the axilla or the armpit or in the inguinal region in the groin. With Hodgkin's lymphoma, these lymph nodes are characteristically non-tender and feel rubbery. Some patients will experience pain in the lymph nodes when they drink alcohol. B symptoms are the systemic symptoms of lymphoma and these include weight loss, fever and night sweats. In patients with Hodgkin's lymphoma, there is a key finding to remember from a lymph node biopsy and this is the Reed-Sternberg cell. The Ann Arbor staging system is used for both Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Next let's talk about leukemia. Leukemia is the name for cancer of a particular line of stem cells in the bone marrow. This causes the unregulated production of certain types of blood cells. We can categorise leukemia based on how rapidly the leukemia progresses, chronic being slow and acute being fast, and the cell line that is affected, whether it's myeloid or lymphoid cells. And this makes the four main types of leukemia. Acute myeloid leukemia, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, chronic myeloid leukemia, and chronic lymphocytic leukemia. The presentation of leukemia is quite non-specific. If leukemia appears on your list of differentials, then the initial investigation of choice is an urgent full blood count. Some typical features are fatigue, fever, pallor, which is due to anemia, petechiae and abnormal bruising, which is due to thrombocytopenia or a low platelet count, abnormal bleeding, lymphadenopathy 
and hepatosplenomegaly. Next, let's talk about thyroid pathology. A goiter refers to generalised swelling of the thyroid gland. A goiter can be caused by Graves' disease, which causes hyperthyroidism, a toxic multinodular goiter, which also causes hyperthyroidism, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which causes hypothyroidism, iodine deficiency, and lithium. Individual lumps can occur in the thyroid due to benign hyperplastic nodules, thyroid cysts, thyroid adenomas, which are benign tumours that can release excessive thyroid hormone, thyroid cancer, which can be papillary or follicular, and parathyroid tumours. Next, let's talk about salivary gland pathology. The three salivary gland locations are the parotid glands, the submandibular glands, and the sublingual glands. These salivary glands can enlarge for three main reasons. Stones, which block the drainage of the glands through the ducts, and these stones are referred to as sialolithiasis. Infection in the glands, and tumours, which can be benign or malignant. Next, let's talk about carotid body tumours. The carotid body is a structure located just above the carotid bifurcation, which is where the common carotid splits into the internal and the external carotids. The carotid body contains glomus cells, which are chemoreceptors that detect oxygen, carbon dioxide and the pH of the blood. Groups of these glomus cells are called paraganglia. Carotid body tumours are formed by excessive growth of the glomus cells. They are also called paragangliomas. Most of them are benign. They present with a slow-growing lump that is in the upper anterior triangle of the neck near the angle of the mandible. They are painless, pulsatile, meaning they have a pulse. They're associated with a brewy on auscultation of the lump and they are mobile side to side, but not up and down. Carotid body tumours may compress nearby cranial nerves, such as the glossopharyngeal nerve, or cranial nerve 9, the vagus nerve, which is cranial nerve 10, the accessory nerve, which is cranial nerve 11, and the hypoglossal nerve, which is cranial nerve 12. Pressure on the vagus nerve may result in Horner syndrome, and Horner syndrome has a classic triad of ptosis, which is drooping of the eyelid, meiosis, which is where the pupil constricts, and anhydrosis, which refers to a loss of sweating. A characteristic finding on imaging investigations is splaying or separating of the internal and the external carotid arteries. This is referred to as liosine, spelt L-Y-R-E, referring to a U-shaped instrument. Carotid body tumours are mostly treated with surgical removal. Next, let's talk about lipomas. Lipomas are benign tumours of the fat or the adipose tissue. They can occur almost anywhere in the body where there is adipose tissue. On examination, lipomas are typically soft, painless, mobile and do not cause any skin changes. 
Lipomas are typically treated conservatively with reassurance after excluding other pathology. Alternatively, they can be surgically removed. Next, let's talk about thyroglossal cysts. During fetal development, the thyroid gland starts at the base of the tongue. From here, it gradually travels down the neck to the final position in front of the trachea beneath the larynx. As it travels down the neck, it leaves a track behind it called the thyroglossal duct, which then disappears. When part of the thyroglossal duct persists, it can give rise to a fluid-filled cyst, and this is called a thyroglossal cyst. Ectopic thyroid tissue, meaning tissue from the thyroid gland that is separate from the thyroid gland, is a key differential diagnosis, as this commonly occurs at a similar location. Thyroglossal cysts occur in the midline of the neck, and they are mobile, non-tender, soft, and fluctuant. Being fluctuant means that when you push on one side, you feel a bulge on the other side, and this is because there's fluid inside the lump. Thyroglossal cysts move up and down with movement of the tongue. This is a key feature that demonstrates a midline neck lump is a thyroglossal cyst. This occurs due to the connection between the thyroglossal duct and the base of the tongue. An ultrasound or a CT scan can be used to confirm the diagnosis. Thyroglossal cysts are usually surgically removed to provide confirmation of the diagnosis on histology and to prevent infections. The cyst can reoccur after surgery unless the entire thyroglossal duct is removed. The main complication of thyroglossal cysts is infection, which causes a hot, tender and painful lump. A tom tip for you, remember the key feature of thyroglossal cysts moving with movement of the tongue. This is a unique fact that examiners like to use to test your knowledge. If you come across a midline neck lump in a child in your oskies, ask them to stick their tongue out and look for the lump moving upwards. If movement of the tongue causes movement of the lump, this is suggestive of a thyroglossal cyst. Finally, let's talk about branchial cysts. A branchial cyst is a congenital abnormality that arises when the second branchial cleft fails to form properly during fetal development. This leaves a space surrounded by epithelial tissue in the lateral aspect of the neck. This space can fill with fluid and form a fluid-filled lump, which is called a branchial cyst. Branchial cysts arising from the first, third and fourth branchial clefts are possible, however they're much more rare. Branchial cysts present as a round, soft, cystic swelling between the angle of the jaw and the sternocleidomastoid muscle in the anterior triangle of the neck. Branchial cysts tend to present after the age of 10 years, most commonly in young adulthood when the cyst becomes noticeable or infected. Management of a branchial cyst is either conservative without any active intervention where the cyst is not causing any problems or with surgical excision to remove the cyst where there's recurrent infections, there's diagnostic doubt whether it could be caused by something else or it's causing other problems. A tom tip for you, branchial cysts may appear in exams as a differential of neck lumps in teenagers or as part of a neck examination in an OSCE.
Remembering the key features will help you differentiate them in your exams. They are just anterior to the stonocleidomastoid muscle, round, soft and non-tender. They might ask you where it is most likely to originate from and the answer would be the second branchial cleft. So thanks for listening to this really long episode on neck lumps. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about head and neck cancer.